strategic planning gives us the foresight into possible challenges, setbacks, objections. Then we can look at different solutions for each of those. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, and welcome to episode 44 of the show. Thanks for joining me. I trust you are well. I'm doing great and have another top conversation for you as we wrap up our chat with Byron Saka from Seraphic Developments. If you didn't hear the first part of the discussion, then go back and take a listen to episode 43 as we talk about how Byron went from big corporate to his own show, the niche development segment that he stumbled upon, and lessons he's learned along the way. Before we dive into part two, here's what I've been up to. We settled on the new development site that I told you about, and I took possession of the property. I've since had the arborist go in and clean up the vegetation and remove some trees that didn't require permits. I'll put some photos up of the site on the show notes for this episode if you want to see how it looks now. And my architects are working on a scheme for the site, which I should have nailed down in the next couple of days. We've been looking at a few different layouts for the site with different footprints, typologies and rough floor plates to determine the highest and best outcome. This part of the design process is always interesting as you wait to see what magic the architects can come up with. I've also been responding to the many people who have been in touch about the property development mentoring program. It's been great to see so many people wanting to take charge of their life and tackle something they feel they want to do. I have an interview coming up with the guy who runs the program and I'm sure you will enjoy that discussion as we track his move from retail shop owner to property developer. If you are interested in learning how to develop property, then please drop me an email at justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com and I can send you some further information about the program. I'm also in discussions with some potential future guests about coming on the show, and I'm very excited about bringing them to you over the coming episodes, so stay tuned. I'd also like to say a very big thank you to the people who've left comments on Apple iTunes. I have to say, I am very humbled by your support and comments. It certainly inspires me to keep going. If you are enjoying the show and can remember when you have a few spare minutes, a rating on iTunes is a nice way to show your gratitude to the guests who graciously give up their time and share their valuable insights with you. Okay, on to part two of our conversation with Byron. In this portion of the discussion, we delve right into the idea of being strategic in your property developing and talk through what that actually means and what you can do to be prepared for any outcome. So let's pick up the conversation where we left off. How do you articulate those project responsibilities then at the start of a project? So, first of all, the leader involved, it's wise to have a clear vision in all the moving parts of a project. So it's very hard to get followers to jump on board if the leader doesn't know where they're going. So it would start with the leader having an idea in his mind of all the different categories in the business. So from design to quality assurance to project delivery to admin to um, HR to materials ordering and, and procurement, for example. Then 
having a look at what's required for each of those categories. What are, what are the actual tasks that need to be done for each of them? Then it's looking, okay, who are the team members? Who could be responsible for each? Then let's have a team meeting. And, and it depends on the style of leadership, whether they're more of a dictator and say, you do this, you do this, you do this, or it's have a healthy team meeting where this is why culture is important, but this is, again, we probably won't have enough time for today, but when, when a good culture is there means there's less of a hierarchy, more of a, more of a team feel to the business where everyone takes ownership, everyone's accountable, everyone feels part of the bigger vision of the business. And so you'd have a group meeting where, where all the roles and responsibilities that need to be taken are discussed, and then some possible suggestions from the leader, like, hey, Bob, I'd love you to work on, you're great with design, so you're going to look after this, this, this. How do you feel about that? Is that, some, is that something you could take on? Is that, is that um, manageable, do you think, etc.? cetera? Oh, uh, Julie, you're fantastic with procurement, blah, 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 you'll do this, this, this. I'm thinking um, then I can be responsible for this. You have a discussion, and then everyone can be have the opportunity to feel heard, to feel listened to, to be seen, that they are appreciated and they're validated for the role they play, and you discuss it. And someone may say, oh, look, I, this is difficult, but I feel I can do this or this. And, and as long as there's an open forum of communication, that's how you iron out all potential creases that could arise down the track. So it's upfront, early discussions that will lead to um, avoiding complications that could arise later on. Does that answer the question? Yep. And what's things as you've worked inside a big firm and also a small development company, what are the differences that you found between the way the two of them operate? In a large company, each person will have a specific area that they look after. So you might have someone who's in the contracts admin and they solely look after contracts admin, contract management, tendering, and um, the scope of works, etc. Then you might have someone who's a supervisor and that's all they focus on. Then you might have someone who is a um, design specialist and they only look after design and you might have a project manager who oversees everybody whereas in a smaller company you take on more roles so you might oversee the design but then you also have to um, play supervisor and you're also doing contracts yourself so in a smaller company you get more access to a wider variety of roles whereas in the bigger company you get more expertise in one particular role that would be the biggest thing as well as Culture is different. In the bigger companies, sometimes not everyone interacts with everyone, whereas in a small company, then the, the great team environment is super important because you work so closely with one another. And I'm also curious about your formal education in construction management. Can you just give me a quick overview of what that teaches you? And then the, um, I'm, gonna, I'm interested to know how what you learn at uni is different from the reality of you know, when you get out there into the into the marketplace. It's extremely different. Reading about how a wall is built 
um, or how waterproofing needs to be installed or how people are to be led is very different to how it's experienced in the real world. And I found that I wasn't inspired at all at university. I see, I, I don't want to talk down on university because it is what opened up doors. Without the university, then I wouldn't have got the degree and if I wouldn't had the opportunity to have gone on the path I did. So it, it certainly served its purpose. It, it complements what we experience in real life though, because we can learn a lot of things in theory, but it's in real life that we experience them. And that's when the pennies will drop. And that's when we realize, oh, wow, that's what this meant. Or, oh, wow, um, now I see what that meant. Um, oh, great. Yes, I'm glad I learned that because now I'm seeing how it was useful and I didn't give it any respect when I was studying it. And there'll be some things where it's like, why on earth did I learn those things at uni? I have, like, I remember doing um, subjects like a structure, the structures one, two, and three, where we had to learn all about the physics and how bending moments and, and how all the weight distribution worked, and, and I didn't enjoy it at the time, and I haven't used any of it since. I have engineers who do that for me. Um, yet you still get an overlay uh, of all the different areas of construction, from people management to real intricate construction techniques to the maths behind it to understanding even valuations and architecture you learn you learn how to um, do your feasibility so the, the construction management and property degree really gave a great overview of everything involved in the property life cycle and the construction process and then it's real life experience brings it all together okay good and then you previously mentioned around the importance of having vision and then thinking long-term and strategically in 5, 10, 15, 20-year blocks. Can you share with us what your vision is for your company and then the work that you do around those uh, strategic pieces or those future blocks of time? How Are you mapping out? projects that you'd like to do or how does that look where i would like to be in in 10 years 20 years time so it's I, I don't just look at business i look at all the different aspects of life i look at my health so if i was to look so let's say i did a, a 10 years because it may be different different goals or outcomes i'm looking for at each phase of my life from five years to 10 years to 20 years so let's say even five years I would look at each area of life because it's very easy for people to create wish lists where they say, oh, I want to, I want to have a hundred million dollars, but they don't look at what implications that would have on the other areas of life. So I would always start with when I'm doing any strategic planning and say, okay, how do I want my health to be? What are, and once I, so I would start with what do I want to have in each of the areas of life? So I want to have this level of health. I want to have this level of business success. I want to have this level of relationship success. I want to have this level of uh, spiritual mental success. I want to have this level of social success. I want to have this level of career success and finance success. Then I would look at, okay, what do I have to do to achieve all those things that I want to have? Then that makes it more grounded where some things may not match up, where it's like, wait a minute, I'll, I'll have to do this, this, this for the career success, but that's not going to allow me to do this, this, this for my social success. So they're conflicting. 
then I'll have to reevaluate and go, hmm. So where is this driving force really coming from? Is it something that I truly want or is it because I'm thinking that some of this stuff looks good on the outside or it's externally driven? So this is why it's really important and useful exercises to work out what your highest values are. And when we're clear on our highest values, the things that are most important and meaningful to us as a unique individual, then we can set goals that are congruent with our real self versus sometimes falling into the social mask or social identity that we're trying to live up to in terms of other people we put on a pedestal and compare ourselves to. So when I'm congruent with my own highest values, then I, I will reset the goals at times, saying, okay, that's a little that's a little ambitious, or that's that's not really inspiring to me. That more I just think would look good or would feel cool. But what's more important to me is my social time. So therefore, instead of wanting, say, to do 10 projects a year, it's like, you know what, I could do three or four a year, still make a good financial living, still have time to go to the gym and enjoy eating healthy food and, and travel with my partner and we and look after her and, and still be able to have great mates and still be able to um, pay for all the things I want to do in my life. So I think it's very important to consider a holistic vision of the future rather than just one isolated area because it's very easy to get on a tangent, get carried away setting goals that are bigger than what we truly are willing to put in the work for. And so with the, the business piece of that, what sort of, uh, what sort of things are you articulating in your, in your five years and your 10 years? Is that numbers of projects, types of projects, bits of both? It is still doing apartments. So I see myself slowly but surely scaling on the development side. I'm also, so for example, last one was four, this one will be eight, maybe next one will be 16, maybe next one will be 30. I haven't got a clear vision in terms of, I wanna be doing 100 apartments at a time in five years or 10 years time. It's, I'm comfortable and I'm in a good state with the development business. It's I will do project by project and each one I'll take on a bigger size. Because on the other side of my business is I love my consulting work I do. And I have a very clear vision for how I want that to be in five years, 10 years time, where I want to be running seminars, workshops, teaching people how to become better leaders of their own lives, as well as how they can run their businesses more effectively and efficiently and inspire others along the way. So I'm, that, that really fires me up and the development is a great path because it's creative expression, creative outlet, it's uh, a good way to make money and it's also a great way to yeah, give people quality homes to live in where I, I do believe I'm more boutique and differentiate my product to other people's product um, because I don't do it purely for the financial gain. I, I enjoy doing that for the Creativity and the beauty. Like I, I love luxury and I love um, I love nice aesthetics. So they would be the two aspects going side by side for my business vision. It's the consulting work and the property work. I happen to know you're actually a trained coach or mentor as well, aren't you? I know that's something that you've put a lot of effort into. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I've got. I've probably studied everything I understand over the last decade when it comes to the field of human behavior, human potential, and um, so all things individual development, couples development, business development. That's um, yeah, that's my forte outside of the property work and the property development too. <laughs> You're all about development. That's it. And so, casting your mind back, can you think of something that you got wrong? I'll just well, I'll use that word wrong, but something that didn't quite go to plan in the past that you would do differently in the future? Yes, I can say with certainty it's trusting myself. In past, I've made some pretty yucky uh, errors or mistakes or had some real shitty experiences because I allowed fear to get the better of me. I was, I was terrified of what could happen in the future, what may go wrong, and therefore I didn't trust myself to have courage in the moment and do what I intuitively knew I should do. So the biggest example is taking on that dodgy builder first time around my intuition was telling me, look, something not quite right with this guy, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt. And then when things were going bad, I still gave him the benefit of the doubt because I was too afraid of oh, what happens now. I'll be, out with, I'll be without a builder. Maybe he'll try and put in a fake claim against me to get money, which he did anyway. Um, but when I just trusted myself and said, look, I can only do my best, that no matter the outcome, as long as I know I've done my best, tried my best, came from a place of love without sounding um, soppy, it came from a place of love rather than letting fear govern my actions, then things will always turn out the way they're best meant to. So over the years, and it's not just in the property, it's with, when it comes to anything in relationships or when it's fear governing my thoughts and decisions, that's when the errors and setbacks occur versus when I trust myself that things will unfold the way they're meant to, they do. They do, even if I can't see it straight away. In hindsight, they always reveal, they always reveal every single time that, wow, that challenge actually taught me my best lessons or my best growth came as a result of that. Wow, I expanded my mindset, my skill set, my people skills as a result of that challenge. So I'm glad I, I, I stuck with my guns to, to persevere through that. And have you found, have you found a... Uh, another situation where you were able to put that lesson into play? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For one, it was when I decided to get rid of the builder. Um, there was a ton of uncertainty. There was a ton of maybe the banks won't let me. Maybe um, I will have to. Because he did. He put in a fake claim against me for like 200 grand. And I could have chosen... To let fear get my way where I said, oh, shit, I better try and resolve this and better. Whereas it was in that moment I decided to stick with my guns. No, nah, I've got to do this if now, when, if not now, when. Um, it's now or never. So I stuck with my guns and things turned out perfectly. It was eventually got rid of him, formed new relationships, market went up. Everything great happened after the moment I said yes to me and no to the fear. It uh, happens in relationships, it happens in health. So, for example, sometimes it's, we have this fear of wanting to fit in. So, sometimes if I want to um, focus more on my health, 
and I got to say no to going out and drinking or no to say some junk food at a social event or something like that. And people put their pressure, say, oh, do this. Oh, come on, just have a drink. And it's very easy to give in to the fear, say, oh, I don't want them to judge me. I don't want to. I don't want them to think it's weird. I don't want to miss out on this. Whereas when I say yes to myself, I'm like, I say no to them, no to the fear of those things happening. Yes to, well, why am I doing this? Well, I want to be healthier. I want to, I'm thinking again, long-term. When I link to the long-term, the fear disappears as well. So when I'm, I'm more willing to go through discomfort in the short term to get to a greater result in the long-term when I don't let the fear get in the way. So I could give, I could actually give countless examples when I, said yes to me and then trusted my intuition and things turned out for the better. Yeah, I can recall two very clear instances where my gut feel about a consultant that I took on didn't sit well with me and both times I had to let them go with designers and I had the similar thing of letting it drag on for longer than it should have. Yes. For fear of wanting to deal with it or... Just, yeah, that sense of fear. But once you deal with it, overcome it, you learn from it and you move on and it's much better getting that weight off your shoulders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%. We'll always get a better outcome when we're not allowing fear to get the better of us. How do you end up hiring a dodgy builder? But What checks did you do to satisfy yourself that they were experienced and could do the job and how did, they fa how did that fail you? But he was a con man. World, one of the world's best. No, sorry. One of the world's best. Thai farm. He'll sell ice to an Eskimo. He would bring his kids even to the meetings when we're discussing building and, and telling the kids, he would say, thank Byron for give, giving daddy this wonderful project. And the kids were like, thanks, Byron. And I was like, this guy's just amazing. He, he had a, a great website, all these projects that it looked like he'd done. He came recommended from someone who just knew him as a bloke. Hadn't done business with him though. And he presents like the, the, the greatest guy. You would think he's amazing. But always check with Fair Trading that the license is in check. You, you check on, um, I can't remember the website, but... Uh, it's the NCAT website, I believe it is, the certain tribunal websites you can check, you can do a license check with fair trading. So you would always do those checks to check that the license is still um, in effect of the builder. You would also want to check any past projects he's done. Um, in my particular case, very rare, wasn't common. There were several complaints and court cases that had had occurred with this builder and weren't on the websites. So there's a bit of there's a bit of an investigation. I won't say too much, but there's a bit of an investigation going on at the moment to why that was the case. Because I did my due diligence and nothing was found. Um, and in terms of checking past projects, he had a wonderful brochure, it, it, and it was he said all the right things knew all the right actions to take to ruin someone who is very trusting. Um, so sometimes there's not, a, there's not a hell of a lot you can do up front because people can, it's, it's kind of like any products these days or things on the, in social media, etc. Great marketing goes a long way. 
We don't always know how good a product is until we try it because the marketing sounds amazing. You can get testimonies, you can get um, great references, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the product is actually good. Yet, what I could have done differently was when I had when I had trialed the product, so to speak, and I knew it was there was a problem with it. There and then, I could have trusted myself to say no more, versus letting the fear get the better of me and say, "Well, I hope it gets better. Oh, I hope I hope he'll maybe change. I hope maybe he'll start doing doing the right thing." Or um, so instead of relying on hope, I could have trusted myself and and face the challenge of going, shit, I've got to experience the consequences of going through the termination process and letting this course take its, take its route. And when I did that, things resolved. It was when I put that off, things got worse. Yeah, which is challenging in property developing because oftentimes when you get into bed with a consultant or a partner, it's quite expensive you know, your architects you can pay activation fees and various stage fees that can mount up pretty quickly with your agents you can pay marketing fees that can be pretty expensive with your builder you're paying deposits and all that sort of stuff so you've got financial skin in the game and then having to admit that you got it wrong can be challenging can't it and having to write off that investment and in some ways start again can be really difficult it can be it can be and and this is where i think it's so important to bring it back to that long-term thinking because if we're only thinking in the short term then we can give ourselves all these false labels like oh i failed maybe i'm not good I really got the full made out of me, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in 10 years' time, in my case, it was just a few years' time. I look back and go, wow, best thing that ever happened to me. Best thing. I learned so much from that experience and the relationships I've formed since and, and the business acumen growth and the knowledge growth and the experience growth, all these sort of things came because of that. So the long-term thinking, we'll see everything as being on our way to becoming a better version of ourselves. The short-term thinking sees obstacles and challenges like in the way of our progress. And so looking back now, what things did you learn from that that you implement now or that uh, have changed the way you do things? Trusting myself more. Asking the tough questions at times. So if I thought, oh, look, maybe it's insulting to say, can I see some of your previous work? Or could I speak to a previous customer? Thinking, oh, does that show that I doubt him? I don't want to upset him. Whereas now, it would be absolutely, that's essential. And if anyone has a problem with that, that's their problem. That's not my problem. So no one should ever have a problem with you for doing your due diligence because people would be able to relate and go, yes, I know it can be a challenging world at times where people can pull the wool over your eyes or they can have fancy marketing and a shit product. So therefore, the, the person who does have honor in what they do and integrity, they will, they will appreciate that, where you're coming from. And if anything, validate you and say, you know what, I appreciate where you're coming from and good on you for asking these questions. That's what I'll do with my clients. If people are asking me about how do they know I'm the real deal, et cetera, et cetera, I'll say, good on you for asking because it is tough to know. 
So you're absolutely entitled to get an answer that satisfies you. And if you don't get an answer that satisfies you, that's how you know not to get into business with these people. So it's being willing to ask the tough questions. Anything that isn't satisfying you, you're, you're entitled to find out more. And if someone has a reservation in giving you that information, they're, they've done your favor to let you realize they're not for you. Yeah, I've learned that lesson as well, that you've got to ask those questions. Whether they're tough or not, I think uh, it's up to the person that you're asking. And if they consider them to be tough, then, then there's maybe some alarm bells should start going off. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And so what areas do you most focus on now with your developing? Oh, is it location uh, Just, uh, yeah, location, numbers, market awareness. So for me, what areas I focus on now is uh, a good piece of land. So it's in a good spot that's going to be desirable for people when it's completed in terms of what I could put on it that I would be looking for land which can I can put nice size apartments on it. Um, I would also be looking at something where the market isn't saturated, so there's not 10 competing products next door. I would be looking at the opportunity to create something that is going to be desirable for people um, and something that is going to be feasible. So the numbers the, the lo location of land has to be good. The buildability has to be good where it's not super sloped or on a busy street where construction is going to cause a lot of traffic disruption and therefore you may expenses may go up because there's so much traffic control needed or extra building costs to address the slope, etc. So good location of good location for the land good size of land, and good buildability for the land would be the biggest things. So I understand that you secured your latest site using an option agreement. Is that something that you regularly use, or how did you find out and how do you go about using an option agreement to secure land? So an option agreement gives you the ability to secure a piece of land for an extended period of time for a fee. So let's say if a piece of land is worth a million dollars, if you want to buy it, you have a standard six-week settlement, you've got to pay the million dollars in the six weeks. Whereas an option might be that I negotiate with the landowner or the agent, say I'll pay a 5% deposit, which would be, say, 50K, for a 12-month option. And then at the end of the 12 months, I have the option to either buy it and pay the rest of the 950K or they keep the 50K that I paid as an option fee. And... Um, what that does is they get 50 grand in their pocket, so they're okay with that. Whether it sells or doesn't sell, they're cool. And then I get a year, which then I have to spend money on the DA, the, with the architect, the consultants, and find out if I can get the approval to put, say, apartments on it. So that may cost an extra 100 grand. Um, and then the 50K deposit, so I'm out of pocket 150, which is the risk I run. Um, and if I don't get the approval, I lose the 150 versus if I had to pay the whole million up front and then the 100 for the DA fees, then I'm out of pocket 1.1. So it's essentially you pay an option fee to secure the right for an extended period of term to 
investigate further the ability to get a DA approved. So some, some owners will not want to do that because if a property is in high demand, then so many people would be willing to pay the million dollars there and then. Whereas if it's a trickier site that may or may not get approval, that's when no one may want it. And then the seller may say, look, at least I get the option fee. That's good cash in my pocket. And then we'll, what happens in a year, we'll see. So I've actually sold on an option and I've bought on an option a couple of times. Tell me, what's your top tip for developers out there who are looking to take their business to the next level? The greater the challenge we're willing to take on is the greater level of growth we'll be able to experience. And in saying that, what I mean is there's calculated risk by doing all our due diligence, by making sure it's in a sought after location, doing all our checks with architects and the relevant consultants to what can be put on a piece of land, by making sure that what we're looking to build is gonna be desirable. If we're doing all the necessary steps, then the only thing that can get in our way is ourself of how far we can take our business. Careless risk leads to potential failure or lack of success. Whereas strategic planning, meaning ironing out all potential challenges or potential setbacks and then foreseeing them and how we could override them if they occur, that's how we can be sure that we will continue to make progress towards our long-term vision. So you touched on previously about strategic planning. Can you just articulate a little bit further for a developer that might be thinking, all right, I'm going to sit down and strategically plan out the next year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, whatever it is. What does a strategic plan look like? Yeah, cool. Good question. So we want to come up with the, start with the end in mind. What is the outcome we're looking to achieve? Then we want to break it down into what are the components that makes up achieving that larger outcome. So if we want to say someone wants to scale up the size of a development, so they've been doing five or 10 or 20 units and they want to do say a, a bigger one, it's okay. So we want to break it down into what are the different sub steps that are going to make up the result. Then for each sub-step, we want to have a look at, okay, what are likely challenges that could arise along the way? Then we break down the challenges, okay, what are possible solutions for overcoming each of these challenges? That way, we're starting with the end in mind, we've broken it down into bite-sized steps, what's going to be required to achieve that end. And then for each step, we can have a look at, okay, what are likely challenges that we could come up against. That's how we strategically plan. So we're having foresight instead of learning from hindsight. And so what challenges might be failure to get planning at council, objections yeah. from neighbours, failure to get funding, market deterioration, things like that? Yes. So, yep, for each of the different steps within the life cycle of a development, 
it's looking at so okay if interest rises may go up interest prices may go up and um, then it would be okay so let's factor in an extra percent in the feasibility or what if the market drops well then let's have a look at how we're pricing the units or whatever we're developing at the end what we're expecting to sell them at so there will be a different potential challenge at each stage like you said it could be neighbors objections could be council's objections but let's go specific what objections could council have if we look at what are the possible objections councils could have that's how we could strategically plan a solution around that challenge so council may think it looks big and bulky okay well a solution around that would be to demonstrate how it is in keeping with the streetscape. Oh, there's too much hard service. So a solution would be let's demonstrate how we can have creative landscaping and plants and big trees. That'll be a solution around that. So if we think of there's a potential challenge, well, what's a way, what are the different options to address those challenges? If it's okay, the chances are down the, down the line that There'll be an oversupply of products. Everybody's trying to do seniors housing now, or everyone's trying to build units in this area. Okay, well, if we know that's a likely obstacle that we could come up against, what's something unique we could put in our units? So do we make one of the bathrooms has a feature wall of marble? Do we go a little bit better models with the appliances? Do we give them two years of strata thrown in as a bonus? Do we give them a third car space instead of the standard two that apartments are having? If we know that's a possible challenge, selling them because of oversupply, what are some ways we could create a solution around that to stand out from the crowd? So strategic planning gives us the foresight into possible challenges, setbacks, objections. Then we can look at different solutions for each of those from a very grounded, present, realistic point of view, instead of just, oh, let's just hope we'll deal with it when we get there. Sometimes it can be too late. So that's the power of strategic plan. And in your mentoring slash coaching business, is that something that you could help property developers with if they're listening to this and thinking, oh, I could do with a bit of assistance on that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I do that with many different types of business owners. So. The logic is the same. The principles are the same. The tools, the strategies, the methods are the same. What they're applied to can be different. But it's the thinking before attacking a solution is the same. So it's a lot of it is sitting down, getting clear on the outcomes we're looking for, and then we build, build the bridge together in how we can get there. So it's quite universal, the principles in how we do that. All right. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you if you could sit down for a meal with any three people alive or dead, who would they be and why? Such a good question. Uh, Elon Musk would be pretty cool. Why? Because I think he has such an influence on the direction technology in the future is moving. And it would be really cool to hear some of his philosophies that guide and drive his thinking, his decision-making, and his action-taking. 
that would be really cool. He would definitely be one. Um, I read the, uh, the book about him last year and he experienced a very difficult childhood. His father used to punish him quite severely and lock him in cupboards and do some pretty nasty stuff to him, apparently. But that has helped him to have a very high risk tolerance, which is why he's been able to achieve some of the things he has at such a young age because he's prepared to take risks. Yeah, amazing. And this is uh, that really touches firmly on what we spoke about before, that sometimes we don't see it at the time, but it's our biggest challenges that are creating us to become stronger, wiser, more courageous, to take on the things that are most inspiring to us. So that, that links up really nicely with that. Elon? So Elon, another person would be, I'd say my family would be one of them, because quality time is always precious, and they're the most important people to me in my life, and getting to experience a, a quality, yeah, quality dinner with them would be enjoyable, even though we do do it at times, but we're all, sometimes it can be very busy and everyone's doing their own thing, so they are, if I look at who I would most enjoy having a dinner with, it's them, my family, including my partner, of course, um, because a, a, a dinner is, you can, you can only do so much in a couple hours. So if it's, it's some of these great thought leaders, yeah, there's a lot of people around the world that would be cool to catch up with, but how much can really be covered in, in a dinner time, in a conversation? A, a lot of them, you can yeah, read a book about them or you can watch YouTube clips on them. They go for hours and hours and hours, whereas if I'm probably reading too much into the question, but when you ask who, which three, three people or, or groups would I love to sit down most with for a dinner and why, that's, I would have to say family is one of them. Um, so that's two. Still yeah. one more. And the third one. You still haven't said me yet. <laughs> You're on lunch. You're oh, no. lunch. <laughs> I haven't graduated to dinner yet. <laughs> I'm the other spending the morning with you. <laughs> like I, I could say one of my mentors, like um, Dr. D. Martini or Sharon Pearson, they're, they're two individuals that have had a lot of influence over me in teaching me some great universal principles and, and business acumen and leadership and, and all human behavior skills and and how we can further utilize our potential. So that could be a, a, maybe one of them to have dinner with and share some gratitude with them. So I, I suppose if I flip my perspective from thinking something that I'm going to get out of the dinner to something I could give throughout the dinner. So it would be... Um, yeah, those two then to share my gratitude and appreciation for everything that they've given me through their, their wisdom. The name of your company, Seraphic Developments, is there some deeper meaning behind that? There is actually a dual meaning to that. There's a little bit of a funny story to it. Um, it originated from a DJ I used to love. His name was... Seraphic, and it was spelled S-E dot, capital R, little A dot, little P, big H, little I, big C, Seraphic. And I used to love his music. It was very uplifting, euphoric, uh, melodic, 
dance music and I used to listen to it at the gym all the time as a kid or in my early teens and I was like, geez, I love this seraphic uh, music. And then it was, I was looking up, what does it mean, seraphic? And the meaning was tranquil, serene, peaceful, I believe even, even hopeful and calm. And I love that. I thought, what a powerful word, seraphic. You don't hear that word often in, in the English language. And then when it came time where I was registering my company, I was like, what were names? I thought about it for a couple of days. I pondered, what, what should the name be? And then I thought, seraphic. Seraphic developments, which is exactly what I want my developments to symbolize. is tranquil, peaceful, serene, and hence the name is born. There we go. It's always good to have a little story behind your business name, I think. <laughs> I agree. It, starts, it ties into that storytelling theme. Well, right. well, Byron, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today about developing and some of your philosophies on life. If people want to find out more about you, maybe there's a, a casting agent who's uh, looking to break into development that needs a henchman or anyone that's got any other questions, where can they uh, find out more about you? Oh, first of all, Justin, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. As always, you um, you bring a, a, a bundle of warm energy and, and great humor. So thank you for having me on your show. It's been it's been an honor and a privilege. And if people would love to get in touch, then I'm always open to having a conversation and, and hearing about where they're at or any goals that they may have and are looking to bridge the gap between, then yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love to have a chat with anybody who's interested. Uh, the simplest would be my website, www.byronsaka.com, B-Y-R-O-N-S-A-K-H-A. And uh, you can find out a bit more information about me there and, and there's lots of ways to get in touch. Fantastic. Well, Byron, it's been really great having you on the show. I'm very grateful to you and we'll speak to you soon. Awesome. My pleasure. Thanks again, Justin. Okay, there you go. Another interesting conversation with a property development doing great things. I really enjoyed that chat with Byron and I hope you did too. I think we covered some really good topics. The points I took out of this part of the discussion were 1. Don't be afraid to ask hard questions. This is a great point that Byron made. Asking hard or challenging questions to people is a great way to see how people react and what they do. If people push back, then ask why. What is it they find difficult? Or why are they being cagey? This may be a red flag, or there may be another answer. But whatever it is, you owe it to yourself to find out. Otherwise, it could come back to hurt you later. Being prepared to ask the hard questions shows you are a professional and that you take your diligence work seriously. And I would think that people with nothing to hide should be happy you are asking the questions. Two, strategic planning can help your property development business flourish. Byron and me talked at length about the power of strategic thinking and planning, and we showed you how to be strategic. Identifying issues can help minimize risk. It helps you prepare for many eventualities and gives you an opportunity to flourish as an individual. We talked about identifying problems before they come up, working out what some of the solutions or options could be, and how you can stay grounded and centred along the way. 3. Our biggest challenges create the greatest growth. I love this point, and it's so true. As one of my mentors, John Demartini, says, 
Maximum growth occurs at the boundary of support and challenge. We often learn the most when we are being challenged a lot. At the time, it can seem stressful and hard going, but with hindsight, we can often see that this was the best thing to happen to us. So why not embrace those challenges with the awareness that they are helping you become a better developer? All right, if you enjoyed that conversation with Byron, then why not delve into the archives and take a listen to episode 29 where I speak with Kiwi developer Graham Fan about his approach to developing in Auckland. Graham likes to focus on one area to help him succeed. Seriously focused on quality and everything in my opinion, will look after itself. If you do a quality product, if you, if you have a, a quality process that you follow in terms of you know your methodology and look for quality people, everything just hinges around quality. I'm sure you'll enjoy that chat with Graham, so go back and take a listen to him in episode 29. Don't forget to email me if you're interested in learning how to become a property developer. You can email me at justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com And check out my Instagram and Facebook pages for my latest developing videos, photos, and news at Property Developer Podcast. I'll have some good material to update you with over the coming months. You can also find all the past episodes of the show at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. So until next time, may you harness the power of strategic planning to help your projects flourish. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.